everybody. Thanks for joining us on Code Chat. Uh, this is a special episode of Code Chat because this is my first time recording in my new studio. And I'm joined today by Jason Dobry. How are you doing? Good. Good. Did I pronounce your last name right? It's Dobry. Dobry. There yes. you go. All right. I like to have that correct. Uh, so the idea here is that uh, this is a studio that's in my backyard, so I can do things like this uh, very close to home and very easily. I call it Codework Studio, and uh, and there it is. I think you'll be seeing a lot more of the wood wall <laughs> behind my recordings. So it's coming together. I like it. Thank you. Uh, today's episode is about JS Data, a library that Jason has created and is uh, maintaining and working on, and. It's a really exciting topic. I actually heard about this at a code camp recently. Somebody else was talking about it and just raving about how awesome this library is. You got to try it. You got to try it. So looked into it, looked Jason up. Hey, it turns out he's in my same town. So uh, we can have a nice little chat here. This is excellent. Uh, so Jason, why don't you tell us what JS Data is and how it was birthed? Sure. Uh, so I would say maybe two and a half years ago now, um, I was building a very large Angular app. And so, you know, it was probably one Am of those... Didn't, when, didn't you mean Ember? It was actually Angular. It was Angular. It was okay. Angular. And so it was one of those typical, like, CRUD apps, you know? It just has a bunch of models, and you're doing typical, like, sort of database operations on them, making new records, deleting records, modifying records. So okay. there's a lot of boilerplate code right. involved. And so for, for Angular, you know, there was REST Angular, and that was it. I mean... <laughs> that was it. Angular itself doesn't really... It doesn't really ship with... Um, a really nice sort of model layer. Mm -hmm. It kind of leaves that up to you. Um, I guess there was ng resource, but it was a very, very light wrapper around plain HTTP calls. And we wanted some more advanced functionality like caching whole queries and doing filtering on in-memory collections. And then we even implemented a sort of three-way binding, kind of like what Firebase advertised, okay. where um, we had uh, when events happened on a backend, they could notify our clients through oh, PubSub yeah. or Sockets right. or something like sure. that. And then the browser would pull that new record and then insert it into the collection in this uh, sort of data model that we put together and then uh, have it updated automatically in the view. And so if you had multiple browsers open on the same page, it was like that Firebase magic oh, effect. Yeah, yeah. But we did it with, not with Firebase, using uh, a data layer uh, originally called Angular Data. Okay. Um, and then it has since evolved to JS Data. Okay. And so JS Data is, in looking at it, it kind of has that uh, that same feel, not because it's necessarily the uh, real-time data feel, you know, the like things updating live, but because it's the it feels to me like the right API, you know, like it feels like things done right. Yeah. So I tried to find conventions that. Uh, um, satisfied the majority of use cases. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kind of looked around for various REST patterns that people had advertised, lots of blog posts, and tried to find something that was like, there's that game you can get on your phone called 94%. Yeah. Where like, when you think of an image, like 94% of people think of these things. And so I'm trying to think of Jadis data in the same way where 94% of CRUD use cases, it can just meet those. Do that, yeah. If not out, out of the box, then with some slight tweaking um, based on like the configurability that JS Data provides. And then for that remaining 6% where you need some sort of extreme performance or really sort of quirky queries, yeah. you can do that yourself. Right? Okay, so is just for positioning, for people understanding like what JS Data is and where it fits, is this an ORM? 
Yes. Okay, it is definitely an ORM. ORMs, in my experience, are excellent because, one of the reasons why they're excellent is because they allow you to connect to multiple um, providers. Yes. So is that the case with JS Data? Um, yes. Uh, usually an ORM is actually written for a single provider, and then if it incorporates the adapter pattern, then yes, it can okay. work with multiple providers. Originally, Angular Data itself it was only a browser library, and it only worked over HTTP. It okay. just made REST calls. And yeah. then over time, the idea came like, why can't this work on the server? And then I added the adapter pattern, and it works in the browser, on the server, and MySQL, MongoDB, RethinkDB, Firebase, REST calls, local storage, Redis. Whatever. So whatever we can write an adapter for, it will... It'll do CRUD operations against that da that data store. Okay, so wh what would you say are the biggest strengths or differentiators of the library? So it's going to save you a ton of boilerplate code. Okay. Um, especially as you get into the dozens or hundreds of models. Uh, like if you have one of those massive CRM-like apps that either you're building for clients or in like an internal enterprise app. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a ton of boilerplate because CRUD operations are the same. For yep. regardless of what model. So there's a ton of boilerplate. And then it uses pretty typical conventions as far as the nomenclature of its method calls. So it's pretty easy to grok or to get started with. Yeah, just right. like, I want to find something. Okay, I find it. If I want to create something, I want to create it. And then it uses that um, sort of convention to be easy to understand. Um, right now, it is in, it's becoming a lot more flexible so that you can incorporate maybe plugins to have, give you better flexibility in what frameworks you're using with it, whether it be a diff various Vue frameworks, like if you want to use React or Vue or even Meteor or something hmm. like that. And then on the server, being able to plug it into whatever you're using on the server. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's pretty versatile. Now, um, in my experience also, the ORM, one of the other big advantages of an ORM is the really convenient um, navigation uh, API, the ability to navigate from one entity to another based on their relationships. And I would imagine that JS Data allows yes, that as well. Yes, it supports relations. You basically just provide that little meta information mm -hmm. to the library so that it understands how your entities are linked. And then, for example, the in-memory store, as you're loading records from your database mm -hmm. into, the, into memory, into mm -hmm. the application, it can automatically just start attaching them to each other. And okay. you could basically just navigate with the dot operator yeah. as, as deep or as in circles or whatever you wanted to do. Wow. And it will keep the links up to date automatically as you change things. So if I'm working on a bookstore, I've got my bookstore and I can dot books and then I can find the book, a, a book with a certain ISBN number and then I can just dot author, dot first name and I can just kind of continue to navigate through my whole web, my whole graph of data. Yeah. That's pretty thrilling. You could assign a new author to a book, and it'll update that book's foreign key. Or you mm -hmm. could change the book's foreign key, and it'll update the author that's yeah. linked to it, vice versa. You know, so. whenever the ORMs get rich and, and semantic enough, it starts to feel like it's um, doing away with any need for uh, a data access layer at all. Do, do you find that that's the case? Do you find that this just makes the data access layer very elegant? Or do you feel like this kind of makes it unnecessary to have a data access layer? I almost consider JS Data your data access layer. Okay. Yeah. You could even use it for a bunch of sections of your business logic, extend the models to handle for, for extra queries and methods, and then it just 
kind of does all the data stuff. Okay. It's your data. It helps you respect your data, so to speak. There you go. <laughs> now, I've used uh, Microsoft's Entity Framework quite a lot um, as an ORM, and I know with Entity Framework, I have the ability to create maps between my tables that are actually in my, my, my persisted data and the actual um, objects in memory. Is that the case with JS Data as well? Can you map the field names and so on? Uh, yeah, you could do that. Okay. Um, it's one of those things that I'm trying to flush out a little more okay. in the current beta for V3, um, as far as like maybe changing and morphing field yeah. names. But yeah, as an RM, its main object or purpose is to take records and map them to in-memory objects. Yeah, right. And, and stuff like and vice versa, saving them. Yeah, right. Well. Yeah, good. Yeah, and then maybe obscuring some of the fields, you know, like the fields that don't belong in consumption that you're not supposed to use as a developer. They just kind of belong uh, in the data. Yeah, and one of the newer features is I'm, I'm trying to make a schema, working with a schema a little more native in, in JS data so that you could maybe attach various temporary view attributes to your objects, but then based on your schema, you can get the official database uh, hmm. subset of those fields and yeah. kind of pull that out and, and, and enforce that strictness, so to speak. Yeah. Um, where are most people, like what, what uh, are most people using this through a node project or through a front end uh, project? Or can, do you have any visibility into how people are using JS data so far? Um, a lot of them in the browser. Okay. Um, using it to connect to their RESTful backend. Okay. Um, probably because that was its primary, that's what it was originally built for. And I haven't really advertised the server side stuff as much. Yeah. Um, it really shines if you are using Node on the back end because you can use JS Data in the browser and on the back end. Yeah. Wow. And it's sort of that universal JavaScript feel. Yeah, right. So your model definitions where you've defined your relations or your schemas, you can actually share that code between the front end and the back end. Perfect. And then since it's JS Data on both sides, they understand each other natively. So you could be formulating queries right in your browser JavaScript and have those that data pulled all the way out of the database for you by JS Perfect. Data, all the way Perfect. up to the browser. That's that's where it gets exciting. Now I can have JavaScript on the server and the client, and I can have a robot over here. And sure. They're all running <laughs> JavaScript, right? Right. All sharing the right kind of data. Uh, well, let's take a look at it. Sure. So um, we're looking here at uh, your website. And this, we've already gotten a bit of an overview, but um, let's just kind of dive into some of the examples and see what, what we can look at. Do I, I assume I click on examples here? Go ahead. All right. So there's, I guess, the first one says it's an introduction to JS data. Okay. All right, this is going to open in Plunker, so we're going to actually be able to play with it. Tell me what's going on with this one. So it looks like it's using uh, V1 of JS data. Okay, is that an old one? Uh, what are we up to now? It's on V2 okay. right now. Um, but there weren't really huge breaking changes between V1 and V2. Okay. Uh, so it's probably pretty similar. Okay. I've been working on V3 so much, I forgot that it, to upgrade this one to V2. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so this is a plunker, and I've separated out into multiple JavaScript files. It looks like each one is demonstrating various CRUD operations. Okay. I pulled in Firebase and okay. the Firebase adapter. All right. Where's so the, help me find it. the Firebase adapter. Is that here under register Firebase? So it's being pulled in from the CDN. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, CDN.js. Okay, so we've got Firebase. Let me see if I can get my font a little bit larger for people here. So um, this the, the first script reference here is what? Firebase. That's Firebase itself. Yep. And then the adapter is JS Data Firebase. JS Data Firebase. Okay, wonderful. What the adapters do is uh, there's an interface defined. 
Like, what are the CRUD operations that JSData can do? Mm -hmm. Each adapter needs to implement that common interface. Mm -hmm. And then the, the Firebase adapter just translates those CRUD operations that JSData expects to pulling data out of Firebase and saving it to Firebase okay. and things like that. So, so does it still facilitate Firebase's ability to do real-time messaging and stuff? Uh, so each adapter under the hood is using some client to speak to whatever persistence layer. Yeah. So with that adapter, you could take the, the client that it's using to talk to Firebase and you can do that okay. for your views to okay. get real-time stuff. It basically, the adapter turns Firebase into a CRUD-like data store. Oh, I see. Um, obviously, one of the main reasons to even use Firebase is so you can get that real-time syncing. Sure. And so yeah. Matt, uh, your friend who introduced me to you, he has taken over management of the JSTATA Firebase oh, adapter, excellent. and he's going to add uh, first-class support for that three-way sync from JSTATA to Firebase and vice versa. He's Very cool. On that. Very cool. Sounds like a big job. Yeah. Okay, now we're bringing in a few other libraries here. Store, register Firebase, and, and what are these all? So look at, let's look at store.js okay. first. Okay, we'll go over here. And it's one line of code. It's <laughs> great. So because we pulled in JSData through a script tag, it mm -hmm. put a global, it put a variable onto the global namespace okay. called JSData. There we go. And so here we just initialize a store. Uh, DS is a constructor function. And okay. we just new up a new store. All right. And are the other ones as simple? or No, they've got a little bit more weight to them, right? Each one is demonstrating um, various CRUD operations. OK. So I think the next one that gets pulled in actually is maybe user.js. OK. So here, we, we take that reference to the store that we created, and we call define resource. OK. And what that's doing is it's saying, hey, JSData, I want to give you some meta information about one of my models. OK. It's called user. And that's the only configuration we give it is a name. And based on the name user, JSData makes a ton of inferences about what it can do with the users. And uh, for example, if we were using the HTTP adapter, it would be able to do posts and puts and gets on various endpoints to do all those various CRUD things for users. Okay. If we wanted, there are 20 more options that we could set here to tweak and configure and massage JSData into whatever system that we have been using previously. I like see. if you're trying to bring JSData into an existing system, then you're probably going to have to do that. Right. If you're building a new app from scratch, you can just use the conventions and then it's that simple. Yeah, right. Okay, and then which one's next? We started at index, and so there was user, and now we've got inject users, right? Should I uh, go there? We missed one. Register okay. Firebase. All right. So go to that one. So all that does is it instantiates the Firebase adapter. Okay. we got to configure it with our Firebase endpoint so it knows where to, what to talk to. Okay. And does then, Firebase require that we have some sort of an application key to authenticate ourselves? Nope. Oh, wow. Well, by default, uh, Firebase is wide open. Okay, and, and then you can anyone could write to your Firebase. There you so go. usually you would put some sort of uh, access control list rules okay. into your Firebase, and so in which case you would probably need to authenticate as a user to gain access to write your own data and things like that. Okay. Here we just we use a wide open database or Firebase for simplicity in this plunker, and okay. then uh, so we we instantiate the adapter and then we register it with the store under a name. You could actually register multiple adapters with the store, hmm. and so now you can talk to Firebase here and MySQL over if here. If you have multiple data sources, you could use JSTATA to talk to all of them with and, the same API. Okay, so then in my code, I'm talking to my store, and it might be talking to two databases. You don't even have to. You, just, you don't even need to, need to know what your data source sure. is. You just yeah. use the interface that JSTATA provides. Uh, this is a bit of an aside, but I had this. This question came to mind. Um, a really common scenario in things like mobile and and maybe even on on websites is 
the ability to handle offline data. Does uh, JS Data give so me any facility? There's a local storage adapter. Okay. There's also a local forage adapter if you okay. wanted to take advantage of like IndexedDB. Um, so you could load the HTTP adapter and the local storage adapter. And as you pull in data to your store, you can save it to local storage. Oh, interesting. And there's a what's called strategies so that when you're trying to read data, you can have it try a second adapter if it can't find the data in the first adapter. Oh, interesting. And so you can do things like that. You could try local storage first. If it's not there, pull from HTTP. Or for example, on the server, Try Redis first, and if it's not in Redis, try MySQL. Okay. And use like have like like a free caching layer. So yeah. To speak. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That makes it really powerful. I mean, the then JS Data is kind of in the middle and allows me to use the same code to talk to multiple bases. A and, unified API. Yeah. On the browser, on the server, cross persistence layer. Yeah. Whatever. Excellent. Okay. What's next? I'm going to jump back to index.html and see. Uh, after register Firebase and user, now we inject the users. Let's look at that. Okay. So what this is doing is it's creating just some in-memory data. We still haven't even done anything with the adapter. Okay. So create instance basically just creates a new record yeah. in memory. And it, we gave it a few fields. Um, injecting it takes that record and puts it into the store. Okay. And then the store kind of keeps track of that record. The store itself is what's called an identity map. So if you were to inject multiple records that all have the same primary key into the store, they will all actually be merged together into one record. Okay. So that user that we inject into the store, as long as that user's in the store, any reference to that user is still valid. All right. So it's kind of the total opposite of like what immutable JS does, okay. where it uses different references to actually signify changes between objects. Whereas with an identity map, you have one copy of any record at any given time. Hmm. Okay. I so gotcha. you can you can modify it and your your reference to it just stays valid. You don't lose your reference to the object. It's just almost like a singleton per ID. Per primary key, per, per model key. type. Okay. It's a singleton record in memory. Okay. And here we're just demonstrating a few methods where you can retrieve a record from the store based on its primary key. Okay. Um, you can check whether the a particular record has changes whether it's changed since it was injected, and you can even get uh, an object describing what those changes are. Okay. So JS Data V2 actually uses Observe.js, okay. which unfortunately has gone going away. away. It's going away. <laughs> so I had to totally refactor that for V3. But in V2, it uses Observe.js, Observe so all of the in-memory records, you can just track all the changes that are happening to them. Fine. Yeah. Okay. It's probably more useful in the browser, um, but there's that thing. Okay. Excellent. All right, now what's next? Now create. we create, update, and destroy. Let's go to create. So here we're actually going to communicate with one of the adapters. So what we do is we call the create method on the user resource that we previously defined. We pass in some properties, and then the store delegates to whatever adapter is configured. And we told the store to use the Firebase adapter by default, so it will. Yeah. And then it's an asynchronous operation. So it returns a promise. And then when the promise resolves, we are given the created record. And we didn't have to worry about the ID. It handled that for us. Yep. And is it, I see that we've got a, um, an ID that's more than just a serial number here. Is that right? Yeah, so this is something generated by Firebase. OK. Oh, I see. I yeah. see. Before we said one, and now we've got. Yeah, a so actually, format. at this point in time, there are two users in the store. Yeah. One, we created manually in right. memory and just put it into the store. That user doesn't correspond to any record in any database anywhere. 
It's ah, just I like see. it's like temporary in memory has an, a primary key of one. The second user that has now been injected into the store was actually saved to Firebase, and then once it was saved to Firebase, Firebase gave us the user we and we put it, it into the in-memory store. So how does the one that we did manually and gave the ID of one, does it? how does it get into the store? So the first one, we just put it into the store ourselves with the inject method. Oh, okay, we did yeah. use inject. Did it get, um, did, is Firebase able to say, okay, well, you've got an ID of one, whereas you've got an ID of IJDKU. So that first user doesn't exist in Firebase. Ever. At all. What if we haven't saved it? Okay. It's just, it, sitting, oh, in, it's just okay. sitting in the store unsaved, so to speak. Okay. And injecting doesn't put it into Firebase. No. It just puts it into the store. It just puts it into so the store. So how do I get that guy into Firebase? So you could either get a reference to that user and call it save method, and mm -hmm. it will save itself to Firebase. Or we could use that same create method that we just used. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So there are two users in the store. After this second user was created, um, it was injected into the store for us automatically. And then right here on line 12, we're saying retrieve the user out of the store that has this ID. Mm -hmm. And we can see that it's strictly equal, which means it's the same reference to the same object. Okay. Right? So this user that Firebase gave us is in the store. So anytime you call .get on that same primary key, you're going to mm -hmm. get back the same reference to the same object. Mm -hmm. And then that's sort of that, that identity map thing coming into play. Okay. Okay, and then we return that user. Wonderful. So that's the create. And and the create is actually returning, is it actually returning a promise? Oh, the, the at the top level here, we have a promise being created, right? Our promise? The reason I created a, I saved the promise to a variable is so that I could reuse it in these other files. Okay. To sort of enforce that serial, like, set of operations. Okay. Because I didn't want the update to happen, like, have any sort of race condition. Yeah. It's just a quirk of the demo. Okay, gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. Okay, now we destroy? Or uh, update, I update think, was the, the next, next one. one. <clears throat> so this is just saying, okay, that user that we previously created, mm -hmm. it does not have any changes because it was just brand new created, injected into the store, we haven't changed anything. And here what I do is I say user.role is equal to admin, observe.js picks that up, and then it says, next time we call has changes, it says, yes, this user has changes. Mm -hmm. And we can even inspect those changes if we were to call, say, uh, user.changes. If you want to, we could even try that to see what the object looks like. So maybe right under has changes, yeah, do user.changes and pass in user.id, maybe console.log that whole line. All right. And then uh, you'll want to open up your, your developer tools so we can see the console. Oops, I already hit run before I got to my console. There we go. Did it, did it run? It's working on it. All right. There it is. So it's the second line is the changes that you logged. And it looks like it has added, changed, and removed. So it should have added. Added, role, admin. OK. And uh, so these change records are sort of produced. And they can even be saved to a, 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 a history. Oh, and wow. if you wanted to, you could, you could see the history of changes that had happened to your in-memory records. You could even use it to recreate a or go back in time yeah, or right. something like that. Yeah. And then if you were to like completely save the record again, you could sort of commit the in-memory changes to sort of reset that history. Okay.
Now, in the ORMs I've I've seen in the past, there's a there's a method called save changes on the um, on the data store mm -hmm. that saves it back to um, the the database. Mm -hmm. Is and is that the case here? Is there a yep. some kind of record? Yep. So the user record itself is a smart record. Mm -hmm. So there's the active record pattern, right, where your individual record instances are decorated with smart behavior so that they can save themselves, right? And then there's another pattern called the data mapper pattern where maybe your records are dumb, they're just pojos, mm -hmm. um, and you have a sort of greater entity that has the logic for saving. Yeah, them. right. JS data has both patterns. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so like okay. the capital user, that's your data mapper pattern where you have this sort of larger entity like a sort of just like a service Mm -hmm. that you're using sure and then if you like you're calling if you could actually grab that lowercase user the record itself and mm -hmm. you could call dot save like hmm. you were saying mm -hmm. and you could pass it an option like changes only now the uppercase user update. you said is, is kind of like a service it's responsible for handling all of the users but is it only responsible for handling all the users so Just my users. business logic for um, when to save users and how to, you know, what logic to run whenever they're updated and so on exists in user, but I have a different um, system to manage the other entities in my system. Yeah, so I would say I wouldn't put any sort of like view logic on this user service, mm -hmm. right? That, that doesn't really belong there. But mm -hmm. if you wanted to like, for example, one thing I do in a very common way is like, I want to retrieve the logged in user. Mm -hmm. right? and so that might be a method that I stick onto this user service because it's just so related to users. Right. And it's not something JS data like it doesn't <laughs> know exactly what how you're doing logged in users. So you just add that method yourself and sort of attach that little piece of logic to your user. And then if you wanted some like let's say there's a method like retrieve all active admins, right? You could do that with a JS data query, formulating some query object, or you could write a method that does that query and attach it to this service. And gotcha sort of just extend it to do your user logic. It's good having some flexibility. Yeah. <laughs> and here is where we're doing that save, right? Yeah, so you could actually do this save in two ways. You could say user.save, and then we're just passing an ID. Okay. And it finds that record, and it saves it. Okay. You could even just, instead of, you could just do lowercase user.save, and don't pass anything, and the record will save itself. So okay. there's that, there, there's the data mapper pattern and the active record pattern. Either way, some people, really prefer the active record pattern. So they're going to use the individual record instance as much as possible for updating and saving. What sort of logic does an active record use to determine that it's time to save itself? Like whenever it gets a, a new role, it would say, okay, I, I just got a new role, so I need to save myself? I don't know if they're, they're not that smart. Okay. Like, so you, you tell it when to save itself. Okay. But by virtue of being an active record, it can save itself. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay, active records have the capability of saving. Yeah. Okay. And this, this uh, console log of the user obviously happens afterwards because we're using a then, and here it is here, and we can see Sally with a role of admin. And if we had the Firebase, uh, the Firebase console open, we could see that this data was indeed in the in Firebase. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Okay, there's one more. Destroy. So I mean, we've just been demonstrating some uh, some of the CRUD operations: yeah. creating, updating. Uh, reading, uh, we didn't do a find, but... So you're saying at some point it gets more complicated than this? You, usually <laughs> there are some things you do that are a little more complicated than just crud. But there you go. the uh, kind of the point of it is that this stuff is kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Doing create, update, 
read, delete. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to have to write the boilerplate for that every for 100 models time. for every project, for every new framework that I want to write. It's ridiculous. It'd be nice if there was just one framework that I could just carry with me from project to project or from from React to Angular or from Angular to Vue or whatever view layer I'm switching between because, you know, there's the new hotness that's coming out. It'd be nice if my data layer could just come with me. Well, it turns out there is, yes. and, and it can. Yes. It's called JS Data. It's JS Data. <laughs> so what does destroy, destroy do? So this is, uh, this is your remove operation, mm -hmm. right? the delete sort of CRUD, okay. part of CRUD. And so this would remove a record from Firebase. And that's what it does. It takes that user that we created and updated, and it then it then deletes it from now, Firebase. Does active does the active rack record pattern translate to the destruction as well? Are yeah. are users allowed to commit suicide? Yep. All right. So you could take user and have it destroy itself. All right. Um, but you'd still have that in memory object. It just okay. no longer corresponds to anything in Firebase. Ah, I the see. The data was removed from Firebase. I see. So okay, cool. And there you have it, man. That's a that was a good introduction, nice and easy. And this is what I was talking about when I said it kind of feels like the right way when you when you are doing things with promises, when you're doing things with uh, just really um, semantic and logical uh, constructs. Then it starts to get exciting. I I guess just because for me as a developer, I've always been very easily confused by convoluted code, and it happens really easily. I, I go into a code base. And people are just, you know, trying to get their work done for the day. They're mm -hmm. just, you know, trying to get the story fulfilled, and they can make it work by incurring a little bit of debt. And and it's it's terrible to look at. It's terrible to pick up. It's terrible to try to write a story in, you know, in this, these awful code bases. And so whenever I see code that's written right, I feel like, good, this is going to be understandable by the next human that comes along. And whenever I get assigned a new uh, story, a new feature in here, or a new bug fix in here, I'm going to be able to make sense of it pretty quickly. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, JS data is easy to read. Yeah. It, it reads well. User dot create some properties. I mean, how do you misunderstand? That, right? <laughs> I know. Um, the the beauty of that though is it's actually doing some pretty complex things. It's mm -hmm. talking to maybe various data sources. It's abstracted away MySQL from yeah. your code, and you don't have don't have to know SQL to work with MySQL. So that's kind of the, the beauty of that. Yeah. Okay, now we just looked at the really simple example, and that's all we'll cover right now, but I imagine that if I go into the samples, I'm gonna, <clears throat> I'm gonna find um, a number of more of the more complicated scenarios Certainly. That are fleshed out there. That's yep. good. And then you mentioned um, that we are currently at JS Data 2. That's the one that's in production. Yeah, 2.8.2, I believe. Okay. Um, so I've been working on, like I said, two and a half years ago, this was sort of born as Angular data. Mm -hmm. And then over the last two and a half years, I've gone through a, a V1 of JS Data, which is the more framework agnostic version of right. Angular data. And now V2. Imagine, I mean, it's like I'm building a house <coughs> and. Just starting out, I didn't really know exactly what I wanted the house to look like. And, and as each new developer came to the project and started using JS Data with their ideas, I'd, I'd patch on a room or a window, and mm -hmm. over time it becomes unwieldy because it wasn't mm -hmm. architected like that from the beginning. Right, right. So there are all of these lessons that I have learned. And then V3 is a complete rewrite from scratch. I started with mm. a blank file, and I rewrote JS Data from scratch. And the main purpose was to make it more flexible. Um, we showed the define resource method. Mm -hmm. In V2, that's pretty much your only 
entry point into the architecture of JS data. You define a resource, and that's the only component that you have to work with. Hmm. And that single component has many responsibilities. In JS data, I've split it into multiple components. And so you can sort of compose them into your data layer as you need it to work. Okay. Uh, so like the store itself is its own component. Or the data mapper part that does the actual CRUD operations, that's its own component. And you can start to combine them. The active record part, that's its own component. So you can start to customize the active record part of it. And then because the components are exposed and they're just functions, just constructor functions, mm -hmm. it's really, really easy to make plugins. Hmm. So we talked about that Firebase three-way sync. To actually implement that, it would be really hard in V2 mm -hmm. because V2 simply was not architected that way. Right. There's one store and it does everything. Mm -hmm. In V3, there's a, there's a store component. And what the Firebase adapter can do is it can take the store component and extend it. Oh, wow. Use it as like a base class. Okay. And then this extended version could tack on a bunch of Firebase three-way sync things and become like a Firestore, hmm. so to speak. Yeah. And uh, after V3 ships stable, I intend to investigate, say, like an immutable store, which would be the opposite of the identity map that ships with JS data by default. Because some people, I mean, it has different trade-offs, different performance trade-offs. With uh, immutable data, you can very quickly tell whether something has changed, but maybe it uses more memory. Mm -hmm. And so um, I intend to create like an immutable store, which would be another component. And in V2, there's no way to do an immutable store. Yeah, yeah, it's, stores are stores. It's not extendable. Right. I mean, I just I can't do that. Mm -hmm. So V3 is incredibly flexible. Lots of components that you can compose into the data layer you need for your app. So that was the big thing. Lots of lessons learned there had to rewrite change detection because Observe.js is going away. Mm -hmm. um, it's now more akin to Backbone's change detection. Okay. Um, I also am incorporating schemas more natively into JS Data V3 okay. using the JSON schema.org mm -hmm. spec yeah, V4. Good. Good. Uh, so that spec I think is familiar to a lot of people. Sure. Um, for example, like many Google APIs use that spec to describe themselves mm -hmm. and uh, I, I think it's a standard that I wanted to adhere to to sort of appeal to more people right away. If they understand that spec, then they know how schemas work in JSTM. Yeah, right. And it will do validation too, even as you're setting properties. <laughs> hmm. um, yeah. That's v exciting. Yeah. So there's there's already good stuff out there, but uh, V3 is bringing a, a number of big changes down. Bringing the pipe. Are you Are you working on this by yourself, or do you got a little team, or...? Um, so I have done the majority of the work myself. Um, I think the easiest part about a project is the code. Um, next up in difficulty is the documentation. Mm -hmm. As much time as you spend on code, you, you have to spend more than that on yep. documentation. Yep. Documentation is hard because you have to communicate to people in English. Yeah. Um, because they don't know what's in your head. They don't. They didn't know what was in my head when I wrote JS Data, and I have to be able to communicate that to people. And then beyond documentation is actually contribution, mm. um, pull requests, issues. Um, people have ideas they want to implement themselves, but may maybe they they didn't understand your original philosophy on how you wanted the code base structure. Right. So it's it's for me that's the most difficult part of it. And I've been working with some people that for the last. Uh, I have a couple folks that I've been using as sort of uh, whiteboards to help with ideas. And so 
I actually created a team page and uh, I got uh, pictures up there of like four or five people that have been pretty involved, Matt like we mentioned, and uh, there's a huge list of areas of responsibility that need contributors and uh, okay. I would love it if someone were to find yeah. one of those and say, hey, I would love to work on benchmarking tests or something like that and I'll yeah. say, knock yourself out, you're the man or mm -hmm. you're the woman and uh, there are currently 10 adapters so we were just talking about JS data, but then there are 10 adapters. Mm. And each adapter is a, a quite a, a bit project. of work because like, yeah. whoever owns that adapter needs to know everything about like the data store that it's working with, like mm -hmm. like SQL or RethinkDB or something like that. How much do those adapters have to change whenever you roll major versions of JS data? Uh, I haven't changed the interface at all okay. since I started. I feel like I picked a pretty good adapter interface right from good. the get-go. Um, and then for V3, I created a base adapter that all of the adapters extend now. Okay. So it's almost trivial to write a new adapter. Good. Um, and uh, this base adapter does all the heavy lifting. It does all of the eager loading for relations and resolving them. Um, but even then, there are more projects, and we have more ideas of things we want to do. Just last week, um, or the week before, I started a, a JS Data Express project where you give it your model definitions and it generates all the RESTful routes for your express application. And then uh, 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 a friend is maintaining that now. Excellent. So it's excellent to have people jump on board to sort of yeah. expand the project and grow the organization. It's funny too because if you if you develop your core product, um, the, I keep coming back to this right way, if you develop your core product the right way, then you're going to get these people jumping in and looking at it and saying, this is exciting. This is something I want to be involved in, and I'm willing to take some slice of it and manage it, or I'm willing to do some pull requests. You know, like when you when you feel like this is code that's going to save me time in my day-to-day -day job. This is something that I I'm going to care about. So you'll get some people jumping in, and it's incredibly satisfying as the original author when someone is willing to contribute like that. Mm -hmm. It's sort of it's really it's is validating. You yeah, know, it's it just really like is. you know this actually is pretty good if someone else likes it. Yeah, like, it's that's just right. it's just that feel good sort of moment when someone says, yeah, I'd love to work on this. That's wonderful. Well, Jason, kudos on the project. I'm really excited about it. Um, I wish you the best on success as far as uptake. If you guys are watching, go uh, definitely go to js-data.io and try it out. See if, <clears throat> see if this is going to work for your projects. Um, I think chances are it will. And I'm more than happy to answer questions. I'm on okay. Slack all okay. the time, uh, mailing list, uh, Stack Overflow questions. Do you use Gitter much? Uh, I, I used Gitter originally, okay, and then switched to Slack. Slack we have right. a bunch of different channels for different purposes and Excellent. things like that. And everything that goes into Slack, I have archived with SlackArchive.io or okay. something How like that. How do people get a uh, Slack invite? So if you go to Slack.js-data.io, you okay. can invite yourself. Excellent. You can just join. Wonderful. So good. All right. Well, is anything else you want to add for developers? Um, I would just say. V3 beta is stable. I don't expect any breaking changes. Cool. Uh, just Good to know. maybe some new features are going to get added before it goes stable. And then, really, the big thing is documentation. Uh, I've probably quadrupled the amount of documentation for V3. Cool. Uh, going into this release, uh, JS docs throughout all of the source, and then generating API docs from that, which should be very. They're very thorough. Yeah, right. It just gives you that API surface that you can look at for all the various projects. Uh, but I need help with documentation and just sort of, of feedback. So if anyone wants to 
even if it's just, even if it's just fixing a typo, or if someone actually wants to say, hey, there's something I figured out to do with JS data in mm -hmm. my app, and mm -hmm. I want to share that. So maybe I'll write a little blog post, or maybe I want to contribute to like a little small tutorial to the main website. I'd be more than happy to accept it. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, we're going to wrap it up there. Thanks for joining me, Jason. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys for joining us on another episode of Code Chat, and we'll see you next time.